This week, we're going to talk a little bit about how we have um, authority in prayer. The thing is, um, my title is called actually World Changers, because the people that pray can change the world. Amen? So if you are a prayer and you pray according to God's word, you are a world changer. God can use you. God can, can um, move because of you. And um, we're going to look a couple of scriptures that we looked at last week. I'm just actually going to read them. So one of them was Luke 10, 19. This is kind of my theme scripture. Um, so in the New Living Translation, it says this, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk amongst snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. So um, we know that snakes and scorpions are a representation of the enemy, of the devil, of Satan, of his demons. So Jesus is saying that he has given us authority over all the power of the enemy, and we can walk among them and crush them, and nothing will injure us. And then in Colossians 2.15, um, it says, Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Jesus triumphed over the enemy. He made a show of them openly. He had a parade and drug them through um, hell itself and let them know that he is Lord and he rules and he reigns, right? Um, the Phillips um, translation says, and then having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered them, empty and defeated in his final glorious triumphant act. So when Jesus rose from the dead, rose from the grave, he defeated our enemy. He paid our penalty. He took care of it all. He wiped it out once and for all, and he defeated our enemy. And he did that in such a manner, the same thing. The enemy is defeated once and for all. Now, he is the God of this world. He does operate in this world, and that's where we come in. Jesus has delegated us power, or authority, I should say, to trample over, to take authority over, to exercise the authority that he has delegated to us over the enemy. That's what he wants us to do. He said to occupy until he comes. You know, occupy is a, um, a military term, really. And many times, not many times, but um, someone can go in and uh, an army or, or military people can go in and they can win the war and they can secure the area, but then they leave some people there to occupy to um, so if any of the enemy tries to rise up again or tries to start something again, there's somebody there to put a stop to them. There are military people in place to make sure they cannot, um, you know, continue to operate. And Jesus has said, you know, he's not here anymore. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. We talked about that last week. 
and we are seated together with him in heavenly places, right? But um, he left us here, and he gave us authority in the earth, and he told us to do, you know, to go into all the world, preach the gospel. He told us we could lay hands on the sick. He said, you know, and they'll recover. He, he said, you know, he gave us the authority. He delegated us the authority to operate in this earth and to make sure that the enemy who's already defeated, that when he raises his head and tries to start something, that we put a stop to it, that we bind it, that we take authority over it, that we exercise our God-given authority, that we put the devil in his place, in his place, under our feet. Amen? So today, as I said, um, one of the ways we can exercise or stand in our place of authority is through prayer. Um, If we will ask God to move in behalf, say in behalf of our families, the church, city, state, nation, the world, based on his world, I mean, based on his word, um, he will. If we ask according to his word. And this is one way we can enforce Satan's defeat on the earth. Um, You've heard this this, uh, saying before, Pastor David has said it, and others on the um, other, you know, Pastor Vicki ministerial staff, we've said, you probably have heard this, I think I've even said it myself, but John Wesley said, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. He can do nothing for humanity unless someone asked him. So it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. Now think about that. God is limited by my prayer life, by your prayer life. And he can do nothing for humanity unless you asked him, unless I asked him. Praise the Lord. Um, I saw this little saying, it says, when a man works, man works. When a man prays, God works. Amen? Praise the Lord. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 22 for me. Or with me, Ezekiel chapter 22. And we're going to look at verses 30 through 31. Um, I'm going to read it to you in the King James, but then we're going to go to the New Living Translation. In the King James, it says this, And I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, I have poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. And then in um, the New Living Translation, it says it like this. It says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found none. So now I will pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins, I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So in this passage, 
you might say, well, wow, you know, God was pretty mad or mean during that time, but God was looking for somebody to stand in the gap, for somebody to make up the hedge, for somebody to plead their case, for someone to um, intercede for them, and he found no one. He found no one to stand and pray for the people. And because of that, not that God wanted to pour out his wrath, but their own sin is what made that wrath be poured out because there was nobody to stand in the gap for them. There was nobody to plead their case. He was looking for somebody. He's like, is there anybody? Is there somebody? Will somebody stand? Will somebody believe? Will somebody call on me? Will somebody put a demand on me? There was no one. Church, we can't be in that place. We can't be in that place. You know, I was thinking today as I was uh, studying, um, my, well, both of my daughters, but my youngest daughter, probably the most recent one. I remember there was this young man that she was, um, called herself dating. I'm going to say called herself dating because that's about all it was, called herself dating. And, and I knew the guy wasn't right. I knew that his life was a mess. You know, I just, I, I mean, I talked to him. I, I knew, you know. And so, of course, tried to tell her that, and that didn't go over too well. And so I remember one day I was praying and I was praying about, you know, for her and, and about this situation. And God said to me, he said, you know, he said, why don't you begin to pray for his salvation? Why don't you begin to pray about him in that way instead of praying for me to, you know, send in my raft on him, <laughs> you know, to get him out of her life. And um, so I began to do that. And you know what happened? He came to church. He didn't come up, but he received the Lord. But the other thing that happened was my child saw that, eh, that's not right. (laughs) And she let it go. But I realized that that young man was somebody's son. And somebody loves him. But most of all, God loves him. And did not, even though his life was in a mess, that was not the will of God for his life. And it pricked my heart so much that I I realized that I needed to stand for him and believe God for him. Now, there may be other people praying for him. And even when he comes to my heart to this day, I still pray for him. But I know God pricked my heart to stand in the gap for him. Not to, you know, talk about all of his bad ways. Not to talk about all of that stuff. Not to go to God and say, you know, just uh, move him out of Haley's life and this and that. You know, people don't come in our lives by chance. They may not be packaged all right and have everything together, but we didn't have everything all together either. 
Still don't have everything all together. I don't know about you, but I still don't have everything all together. I have not arrived. I'm still a work in progress. And so are you. So God is saying, forget all of this outward stuff. Forget all of the stuff that you can see with these natural eyes. See what I see. Somebody I died for. Somebody I laid my life down for. Somebody, before they were born, I had a plan and a purpose for their life. And it was good. Someone who I am still endeavoring to reach with the goodness of God. So, as I said, we can't be a church that doesn't pray. We can't be those who won't stand in the gap. I um, praise God. We, we, okay, church, we can't. We just can't. This is a different season. This is a different time. Our authority right now is so important that we walk in it, that we exercise it. If we don't stand in our place, as the enemy has taken territory, he will continue to take territory. In your families, in your church, on your job, in your city, in your nation, your state. It's up to us. And I don't know about you, but I think we're up for the task. I think we can do this. I think we can make this happen. Right? We're not weaklings. And we certainly aren't ignorant of Satan's devices. But I tell you what, in 2020, I begin to wonder about us as a church. Because I'm like, do y'all not see that this is straight from the pits of hell? You know, there were people who were fighting people and fighting this and talking about this person and that person and what they should be doing or what they're not and this and that and, and getting lost and all of that. And the enemy is taking territory. Distracted us. Got us onto things that were not important. That, didn't, that were not going to amount to a hill of beans, as they said. Was not going to change anybody's life. Was not going to make a difference in eternity. So here, the church I'm talking about now, not necessarily word of life. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We... We're so engrossed in thinking about how thinking like the world and acting like the world and not looking at the word and not getting our eyes on God, but we were looking everywhere. We should have set our faces like a flint and not look to the right. Whoops, this is the right. Not look to the right or the left. (laughs) But keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
But we were, we had racial stuff going on. We had the virus going on. We had divisions in the church going on. We had people coming against one another going on. We had problems in marriages. I mean, all kinds of stuff is going on. And we, with the answers, are right in the middle of that, all that mess. And not doing what we should have been doing. Not offering hope. Not saying to people, you know what? You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. But we were afraid. (laughs) Let's be honest. There were people in the church that were afraid, that operated in fear. Some people are still operating in fear. But God says, I'm not, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. That's what he gave us. Jesus said he had already defeated our enemy. So what do we have to be fearful of? Why do people have to be fearful? Um, you know, uh, praise the Lord. Why do people have to be fearful of coming into the church? You go to the store. You go to work. You go to the movies. You go to the hotels. You go have dinner at a restaurant. You go all these places, and then the enemy tells you not to come to the church, and you buy that lie. God says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves with other believers. So much more so than when you see the day approaching. Let's be real, church. Let's be real. Who are we? Who do we serve? Enough is enough. I'm tired of people being deceived. I'm tired of people, in fact, I'm tired of people using these lame excuses. But they go everywhere else. But they can't come into the house of a God. And this is where their answer is. This is where their hope is. This is where the word is. And we know it's the word. The word builds our faith, right? The word is health and medicine to all of our flesh. The word of God is what sets us free. It's the truth. Now, yeah, you can hear it. You can sit at home and you can watch on TV, but it is not the same. It's not the same. It's not assembling yourself together. You're assembling in your house. And we know how that goes. You're doing 50 million other things and you got the word on. Praise God. But we have people who need to hear the truth. So we need to come to church, get built up, 
Hear what the word of what God has, what word God has for us. Take it out to the streets. Take it to our neighborhoods. Get ourselves built up. Remind ourselves that we have the answer. We have what people are looking for. People are looking for hope. We have hope. We have the answer. Jesus is the answer. Praise God. You know, we, we mm, praise the Lord. Let's turn to 1 Timothy. Praise God. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're talking about we're world changers. One of the ways that we change the world is by, by being people of prayer, giving God something to work with, giving God something to work with so that he can work in humanities, in humanities, so he can work in our political scene, so he can work in our families, so he can work in our economy, so we can work in every area, every facet of our lives. Amen? Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at um, verse 1. Again, I'm reading in the New Living Translation. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peacefully and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. So there's a lot in this one scripture, but it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. And then it says, pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful lives, quiet lives. So God wants us to to Pray for all people. He wants us to pray for those who are in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life. That is his desire. And then he says that he also, that this pleases him and that he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So just this one scripture here. First of all, to pray for all people. And then it says to pray for kings. So we're to pray for those, you know, pray for everyone. And then we're to pray for those who are in authority. Pray that God will work in their lives. You know, Proverbs 21, yeah, yeah, Proverbs 21 says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he'll turn it whichever way he desires. We can pray and ask God to turn the hearts of our leaders toward him. You know, when, when, um, 
we see things going on in, in the political realm and we don't pray about it, then God can't move. If we just talk about, you know, well, this one's not doing that, or I don't agree with this, or I don't like his personality, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. But God didn't say to do that. He said to pray so that he can do something. If you don't pray and ask him to, he can't. Not that he won't, he can't. So either a person is going to be influenced by God or they're going to be influenced by the devil. If Christians will pray that they're influenced by God, then they have, the person has a choice. I will say that. The person does have a choice. Everybody has a free will. So they get to choose. But God is bigger than the devil. So we have a place, we have an opportunity. You know, we're getting ready to, to have a, um, you know, going into a new season next in 2021, as far as our presidential presidents, our president. Um, what are you going to do? Are you going to pray? Because, see, you, it, it's really, if you think about it, too, it's not just the man. It's what's behind the man. And if you look to a man to be your answer, you're already lost. we got to look to God no matter who's in that office. No matter who. So we may as well, if you haven't already been praying, need to be praying now. Decisions are being made now. Will you pray? Will you ask God to intervene? You give God something to work with. You know, the angels hearken to the word of God. So when you pray the word of God, they're on it. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who are heirs of salvation. Let me um, read you something. I have lots of scriptures, but it don't look like I'm going to get through all of those. Um, But let me read you an example of when people prayed. You know, if you look at our history, you can find so many examples of when people came together and prayed, how God intervened. Now, this one is called the Battle of the Bulge. So it says, the Battle of the Bulge was one one of the single bloodiest battles in American history. During the battle, 12,000 men were trapped and besieged at Bastogne in Belgium. Uh, When asked by the Germans to surrender in a very official worded notice, United States Brigadier General Anthony Mac 
Oflifi, I think that's how I pronounce his name, simply replied, nuts, the word nuts, N-U-T-S. The German major was baffled and enraged, but Patton, already preparing to break the siege, um, reported, reportedly stated that a man that eloquent has to be saved. So he was talking about that, that general who said nuts. Unfortunately, <laughs> Patton's rescue of the embattled uh, troops was delayed by what had been a month of unrelenting horrid weather. He only needed a 24-hour window of decent conditions to be able to send in the Third Army and reinforce the troops trapped by the Germans. After apparently uh, cursing the clouds quite creatively, Patton gave Third Army chaplain Colonel James O'Neill what may have been the strangest orders he received in the war. Patton's directive was for O'Neill to draft a prayer that would give Patton's troops the break in the weather they needed to rescue their besieged brothers. O'Neill's prayer was printed on hundreds of thousands of wallet-sized cards and used by the Third Army. The prayer read, Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains with which we have to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle, Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon thee, that the army, with thy power, we may advance from victory to victory and crush the oppression and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. That was his prayer. The prayer worked. The weather miraculously cleared, and Patton was able to reinforce Bastongi in what was called Patton's finest hour. O'Neill was awarded with the Bronze Star for writing a prayer. When O'Neill was asked about Patton's reaction to his prayer success, O'Neill said, Patton cracked me on the side of my helmet with his riding crop. That was his way of saying, well done. <laughs> but here, this Patton asked this chaplain to write a prayer. They printed this prayer on hundreds of thousands of cards and passed them out. And they prayed, and God heard, and God answered, and made a way for them to go in and help those that had been trapped by the German soldiers. That's just one. There's, there's so many things that God has done just because people have asked him. When people ask, and you ask according to his will, he hears you and he answers you. That's what he said. So when we stand and we believe God, you know, um, four people, um, Charles Finney would be another person. Maybe you've heard of him. Charles Finney and Father Nash, they were this great team. They would go into cities, um, and sometimes Father Nash would go before Charles Finney, and they would pray. He would pray, and he would um, pray for that city. He would pray that um, the people's hearts would be open to the word because, see, we know that it's the word, right? Right? the word that 
brings truth, and it's the word that, is, that brings salvation, correct? So they would pray. Um, like I said, sometimes Father Nash would go ahead of him and go a couple weeks ahead of him, and he would just begin to pray. And when Charles Finney would come and declare the word, the people's hearts were open. God opened people's hearts. People were, were um, ready to hear the word. Now, they had a choice. They could either get saved or not get saved, but whole cities got saved because they prayed. If we want our, our cities to change, if we want our state to change, if we want our nation to change, then we have to pray. Because, see, what has to happen is people's hearts have to change. Change comes when people's hearts are changed. So if we will pray and preach the word, witness to people, bring people to church, People's hearts will change. And when people's hearts change, when their heart, when they get saved, okay? When they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and they're placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son. They're no longer under Satan's rule. They're no longer a slave to him, a slave to sin. They've been translated into God's kingdom. They've been placed, they, they have been liberated so they can think, so they can receive what God has for them. You know, the God of this world blinds people's minds because he wants to keep them from knowing the truth. People that are sinners, they're blinded. They're blinded by the enemy. But if you'll pray for them, God will make a way. You know, pray for laborers to come across their path. Pray for, you know, God to work in their lives. They will have an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if they choose him, their life will be forever changed just like ours were. So what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is if you want to see change, then we must pray. And we must pray for the loss. We must pray for our leaders and that's the natural leaders as well as our spiritual leaders. We must pray. We must bombard heaven with our prayers. If you really want to see a change in our nation, remember God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. 
But the thing is, God needs his people to pray. He says, if my people will pray. So it's not a, he's not commanding. He's saying, but if you will, this is what I'll do. But if you don't, I can't. If we want our land healed, we need to exercise our authority in prayer. I don't know about you, but I want to see my nation change. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews first and also Gentiles. Praise God. I'm telling you guys, we, we do. We have such authority. Um, we just need to use it. We just need to use it. God's waiting on us. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. He's saying, I'm ready when y'all are ready. Let's do this thing. Let's make this happen. Come on, church. Come on, my people. Wake up. Shake it off. Stop getting distracted. Stop letting the enemy deter you with things that don't matter. We got lives. We got people that are slipping into eternity moment by moment, second by second. You want to live a quiet and peaceful life? Pray. Pray for all people. Pray for your leaders. You know, I pray for our leaders to have wisdom. I pray for God to surround them with godly men and women. I pray for our leaders not to be so party conscious, but to be God conscious, be concerned about this nation as a whole, to uphold our Constitution to enforce his rights, not to change it. We have to pray. We have to pray.